Well, hello. Good to be with you. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, if you can't hear, I'm a little under the weather, so uh, hopefully I don't say anything too crazy or lose my voice or have a coughing fit, but just fair warning there. Um, that's fun. So you can pray for me as you're listening here. Before we get into the Roman study, um, I wanted to share a little bit of a personal note um, for my family. Many of you heard about the passing of my mother-in-law, uh, Jeannie McEnroy, the wife of pa- our pastor, Mac. Uh, she passed in December. Um, and uh, once again, on behalf of my family and Mac, we just want to say thank you for praying for us, for being there for us, supporting us um, in this time. We're so thankful for our church. But we wanted to let you know what's happening next week, next Saturday. We are having a celebration of life for Jeannie, uh, celebrating her life, an amazing life dedicated to the Lord. We're going to celebrate Jesus, celebrate her, and uh, we just wanted to make you guys aware of it. It'll be next Saturday, January 20th at 11 a.m. There will be a lunch following, and uh, that'll be at Juan Diego High School. So what we're, the reason I'm bringing it to you is we're trying to get kind of a rough ballpark estimate of how many people she was. Uh, the Lord used her to influence so many lives, and we know so many people want to honor her and uh, celebrate her life. So we are just trying to get kind of a rough estimate head count. So we're asking people if they're planning to be there to RSVP. There's a link there at the bottom of the screen. It's in your bulletin. Uh, It's on the Rock Church app. But if you would fill that out for us, that would be helpful. And uh, we'll see you Saturday to celebrate her amazing life. So thanks again for your continued prayers. We love you all. We're so thankful for you. But with that, we're going to move into Romans Uh, This is part 34 of our Roman series. We will be in Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 25 through 36, and I've titled this message, From Him, Through Him, and To Him. This is the final message of our season four. We've had uh, four seasons. We'll have a fifth season after this. The fourth season we've called God's Sovereignty. Romans 9 through 11 presents some deep theological arguments about God's great sovereignty when it comes to the plan of salvation for all people, as it pertains to the nation of Israel, as it pertains to the Gentiles, non-Jews. In uh, chapter 11, Paul talks about the future of the nation of Israel. And Josh shared some uh, great truths last week in his message. I would encourage you to listen to that if you missed it. Um, But in our verses today, Paul shares some more thoughts on Israel and God's faithfulness to his promises for those people. And then Paul is going to end his thoughts by sharing how all things are from God. And in his control, he has the final say, he is God. Paul says everything comes from him. It exists through him. He holds it all together. He sustains it and makes all of it, uh, makes way for all of it to happen. And all of it is to him. It's for his glory. And that's what I'm hoping will be the theme as we look at these verses that you'll see that, that it's from God, through God, and to him. Everything ultimately will be brought in line with his sovereign will and for his glory and his praise. So before we pray, I wanted to start where we will end tonight. I wanted to look at the last verse that we will look at tonight. And uh, that is Romans 11:36. says, for from him and through him, And to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for tonight. What a chance to to worship you, to sing to you, to be together as your people, Lord. Just what 
a great opportunity to, to experience you, to experience your love and your grace, Lord. I pray now that you would speak to your children through me, Lord. I pray that your words would go out, not mine. Your ideas, your truth, your sovereign good plan would be communicated to your children, and anything that's from me would just fall by the wayside, Lord. So we look to you, pray you'd sustain my voice. We just ask for you to be glorified tonight. We pray that in your name. Amen. All right, so verse 25 says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Paul is writing to the church that would have had both Gentiles and some Jews in the church in Rome, but the Roman church would have been mostly Gentiles. So here Paul is speaking to the non-Jews about the nation of Israel. Paul is speaking this mystery for God's plan of his people, for his people. A partial hardening, he says, has come upon the nation of Israel for a time. The last two weeks, Brian and Josh have talked about this idea that God has made Israel, the nation of Israel, jealous by saving Gentiles, taking away his favor for a time and giving it to people who did not earn it, who were not his covenant people, and saying, they will be my covenant people. And in so doing, it would make Israel jealous until a time that they would turn back to the Lord. God has always had a plan to bring his people back to him. Romans eleven twenty six, if we continue, says, And in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is Jesus saving the nation of Israel. Paul is quoting from Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 27, as well as Jeremiah 31, to kind of make these verses and these points together, showing how the Messiah, Jesus, would take away the sins of his people. By doing this, Paul is showing that God's mysterious plan of salvation for Israel has been spoken about for centuries, long ago, before Jesus. The Old Testament prophets were prophesying this day that will come one day when Jesus will restore the nation of Israel to his people. So this is nothing new. God has had a plan, and he is seeing it through. We'll look at these verses more in a minute, but for now, I want us to see this. Our first major point is that salvation is only from the Lord. Acts 4, Peter, talking in Acts, talking to religious leaders, he said, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul is speaking, again, to the Roman church to not be confused about this mystery. God, in his sovereignty, has a plan and is seeing it through. It is not of humans doing, it's not of Israel's doing, or anything that they could cling to or we could cling to. If we look throughout the Bible, we see this. It has only ever been by the Lord that salvation comes. The whole history of the Bible, of God loving the nation of Israel, is example after example after example of God choosing and being faithful and loving people who do not deserve it. This is a book full of God showing mercy to those who have no right to his mercy. From Abram to Noah to Moses, David, King David, or Jonah, even Paul himself, who's writing this letter, they are all examples, both 
to us, the Gentiles, and to the Jews that salvation is only from the Lord. We could never come up with this great story of love and mercy and grace on our own. And it's humbling for us to think about this truth because it fights against ignorance and pride. And it fights against discrimination. Paul is warning his readers in Rome, again, mainly Gentiles, to not be wise in their own sight as if they've earned something on their own. That they are now in the place of Israel on their own doing. He says, don't think so highly of yourself. Salvation only comes to you from God. Let me take a drink here, sorry. It can be easy to creep back into self-righteous thoughts that salvation is something we have earned, right? You ever get caught up in that, that you think you get caught in that? Oh man, look how good I've been. Look at me, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good Christian. The Jews certainly did this as God's chosen people. The nation of Israel, they did this. They thought they were good enough on their own in keeping the law and their good works. They thought that they were better than the Gentiles, and yet they missed the Messiah. And Paul does not want the Roman Christians to fall into that same trap. He is saying, it is not as if you Gentiles did anything special to earn God's favor. It's not as if you succeed in some way that Israel didn't. Like, you on your own chose the Messiah, and Israel missed it. It was only God's grace and his favor. It is important that we not be wise in our own sight, church, that we do not think too highly of ourselves. We talk about this plenty in our home. I don't, maybe we're the only household that deals with pride. <laughs> uh, but myself, my wife, my, my children, not, don't think so highly of yourself. We all do it. To look at others you know, one of our kids might look at their sibling when they get in trouble and be like, at least I didn't do that. And they forget that they were sinful just a minute ago and, and disrespectful to their mom, right? It's just pride in us that we look down on others thinking we're better. And Paul wants to keep the, the Roman church from falling into this trap, especially when it comes to looking down on those who do not believe. That's not the posture that God wants from his people, to look at the unbelieving world and say, "Wham, we're so much better than you. He wants humility and service, not pride and judgment. He wants us to love them, not look down our nose at them. But sadly, this has happened throughout history, right? Even with the nation of Israel, with the Gentile church in the New Testament, Paul understood this. He saw it. The prejudice against both Jews and Gentiles that had been done. The pre- uh, and in this even, in what could be happening in Rome, the prejudice that could be against the nation of Israel. Paul is saying this should not be so in the church. Paul had been a high-ranking religious leader of the Jews, the Pharisee of all Pharisees. And Jews did not look fondly on the Gentiles. But now here in verse 25, Paul is calling those people he used to look down on. He is saying, you are my brothers. Think about that. That he would include himself with them. Say, we are brothers, we are family. He is saying, we are family in Christ by the grace of God. His heart had been changed. That's so good. Understanding this truth, excuse me, understanding this truth that salvation is only from God highlights God's sovereign and mysterious ways. Paul is saying that we should not be unaware of God's mysterious plan for Israel. That's the whole reason for Romans 11. And honestly, some, some churches skip this chapter because <laughs> it, it can be 
confusing. It can be controversial. It can be uh, hot button. But we're not going to do that. The Bible has many mysteries, right? The mysteries of creation, of the flood, of dinosaurs. How does all that work? If you want those answers, talk to Pastor Josh. He's doing a small group about it. You can get all the answers to those mysteries. But, uh, you know, the, the Bible has crazy things. What about fallen angels and giants and supernatural events like parting the Red Sea or having the sun stand still for a day? So many mysteries in this book that we, we get a glimpse of, but we can't fully understand. In our world today, too, there are so many things that are mysteries, right? Like, we kind of get it, but we don't fully understand. This week, my wife, my dear wife, uh, tripped on a box. She was doing homeschool. She tripped on this box that she's been using for years at homeschool, looked down at her toe, and it was sliced open. And uh, it was brutal. We had to go get stitches, and it was like, we looked at the box, like, how did this happen? This is such a mystery, and it's like the tiniest little piece of metal that you would, it was like one in a million chance. Like, what is this mystery of life? right? It's so weird. The mystery of the weather forecast. We all expected it to dump by now, right? And maybe that's still coming, but it's a mystery. We kind of see it, but it's not happening. We don't fully understand it. Here's a mystery maybe some of you parents will get. It's a stupid one, but it makes sense to me. Um, my kids, thankfully, don't have to use this kind of car seat anymore. But if you've had this booster seat, <coughs> to get the seat belt through that stupid little hole <laughs> causes more frustration and sweat in my life for years than I care to admit. And it's like, I get there's a safety element to it. Some smart engineer, smarter than I figured that out, but couldn't you make the hole just like a little bigger that your hand could actually fit? It was the dumbest thing, but it's a mystery of life. <laughs> Why? We don't fully understand these mysteries. And even more so, again, God's word, his ways are mysterious. John Calvin said this, Man, with all his shrewdness, is as stupid about understanding by himself the mysteries of God as a donkey is incapable of understanding musical harmony. I changed one of those words. It was a little more, uh, yeah, so you can, uh, it's a little more, uh, but anyway, that's true. On our own. We can't understand God's mystery. This is the mystery Paul is speaking of. Let's look again at Romans 11, 25. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Through his knowledge, Paul's knowledge of the Old Testament, he was a scholar, he was a student, had much of the Old Testament memorized, perhaps all of it. And then by the revelation and the guiding, guidance of the Holy Spirit to, re, to write scripture, Paul is speaking or prophesying of what is to come, what will happen for the nation of Israel. Last week, Josh asked the ultimate question, does Israel have a future? Well, here is the answer. Israel right now is in a time of partial hardening. Partial in that there is a remnant now of Jews who have believed in Jesus as Messiah and are believing in Jesus as Messiah and will come to believe in Jesus as Messiah. There's a remnant. But Paul is saying here, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Also, it's partial in that it will not last forever. So it's partial in that not everyone is excluded of the nation of Israel, and it will not last forever. That's what Paul's saying here. But he's saying there will come a time when that rejection of Jesus comes to an end. When that happens, God will fulfill his covenant with Israel that he spoke to the patriarchs. He will remove their hard hearts. He will save them. Speaking of the mystery of salvation for the Jews and Gentiles, John Murray, in his commentary of Romans 11, said, Both elements are clearly expressed. The hardening of Israel is partial, not total. It's temporary, not final. And in part, indicating the former. So a couple of things for us to notice here in these verses. Paul says, this will take place when the full number of Gentiles has come into the kingdom or been grafted in. There's many people who guess what that means. There's many false religions that put a number on that and say this is the cap for when the kingdom will close. Um, I don't know that Paul, again, it's a mystery. I don't know that he gives us that answer, thinks we should uh, reach for that. Only God knows what that full number means. But we do see that there will come a time that God says, that's enough. Our response is to be about fulfilling the Great Commission. That's our duty as the church, to see that, that God says one day that will come to an end and we can see that come, that Jesus will return, that we would fulfill the Great Commission, preaching the gospel to all nations, tribes, and tongues. Next, when Paul is saying of all, that all of Israel, that word all, I know it can be tricky, even here at times where we have a cute little slogan that all, is, all means all and that's all all means, except for when it doesn't mean that. <laughs> um, and that's not to be uh, cute or rude in any way, <laughs> but uh, um, there are times when we see in the Bible that it says the idea of all. This is not saying that, that the, every single Jew alive at that time will come to believe in Jesus. It's not promising that, but it is saying that the Jews will have a mass revival and turn to Jesus as Messiah. He's not necessarily saying that every single Israelite will be saved. We've already read in Romans 9 that not all who are from Israel are Israel. We've read that. We've studied that. But we also see in Scripture there are times when Scripture says all means all. And we need to believe those times. When it says Jesus has forgiven you of all your sins... That is the truth. Hallelujah. Amen. It is finished. All of your sins. But then there's also times when all means a majority or a whole, if you will. We will see in the next few verses that Paul says that God will have mercy on all. He's consigned all to judgment and he will have mercy on all. That doesn't mean that God will have mercy on every single person in existence. We know that. Not every last person who lived will know Jesus, will trust Jesus. Most people throughout history will reject him and have rejected him. So Paul is saying there will come a time that a mass revival will come to the nation of Israel. And as a whole, they will turn to Jesus as Messiah. That all who trust in the Messiah of the nation of Israel will be saved. And all of that will be to God's glory. It'll be a time of rejoicing for God's people, for his kingdom. Paul said in verse 12 of chapter 11, Now, if their trespass, Israel's trespass, meant riches for the world, and if their failures meant riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? God is saying if, or Paul is saying, if God used the nation of Israel 
and turning away from them for a time to save the Gentiles and to save a kingdom people, how much more will their rescue and their salvation, their turning to the Messiah, how much more will that give God glory and be a joy for the church? One other quick note I'd like to say in, a, in general from passages like this, many people want to take Romans 11 and other forward-looking prophecy type uh, verses and make very definitive statements about the future, about end times. Some of the messages I listened to even the last couple weeks were pretty like, this is when it's going to happen, and this is what it means, and this is what it means for post-trib, pre-trib, Jesus coming back, rapture, thousand years, all of that. And some people have that conviction. They're probably smarter than I am, but I don't think it's always helpful to come to those assumptions from a few verses, like in Romans 11. To remind you, Paul himself said that this is a revelation from God, and yet it is still a mystery. So it's difficult to say, I understand the mystery fully. Hopefully you understand that. We see parts, but not the whole. We need to trust the Lord. Let's continue on. Verse 28, chapter 11. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of the forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Paul again says that God has temporarily turned away from Israel for a time. He made them enemies so that the wild branches known as the Gentiles could be grafted into the olive tree, what Josh talked about last week of God's kingdom. But as we saw last week, God would have no problem and will have no problem one day grafting them back into the tree. And that is what Paul is saying. They will be grafted back because God's promises to the forefathers, to the patriarchs, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that calling is irrevocable. Allow me to remind you of that covenant promise that God gave to the nation of Israel through these men. Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Josh spoke last week about the, the perseverance of the nation of Israel throughout history. The simplest way to explain that, of how that has happened throughout time, is this promise of God to Abraham. God ultimately has a good plan, a good promise for Israel, and he will fulfill it and save them. He has not given up on them. Continuing on to verse 30, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. What a cool verse. God is cool, <laughs> right? One of my favorite verses in 1 Corinthians 1 says, God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. God in his mercy has a good plan that looks totally different than what you and I would come up with, right? Thank God. We would not show mercy to the Gentile nations that rebelled against him for so many years. We would also not show mercy to the Jews who rejected the Messiah. But we are not God. He is God, and he is a God of mercy. That's so good to be reminded of. 
So that's our next big idea, is that mercy comes only through the Lord. Ephesians 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. He shows us mercy, those who do not deserve it. He continues to show mercy because it depends on his faithfulness. He cannot deny himself. He is faithful even when his people are not. God is faithful to his promises. We can trust God's promises. A quick note, it's important to not be too cavalier with God's promises and, uh, when we're reading the Bible. I think it's important to read the Bible and study God's word knowing context. And uh, sometimes it can be easy to write ourselves into the Bible. The Bible was written for us but it was not written to us. We need to understand this. Some, some of God's specific promises were written for a specific time and a specific people, but that doesn't mean the same for us always. Some people read promises meant for Israel, and they think that exact word, those exact sentences apply to them, but that's not always the case. We must grow in our knowledge of Scripture and understanding how to apply this, but... We need to understand that his promises do show us his character, his heart for his people, his faithfulness. We can look to his promises that are for his elect, and we can be confident in him keeping his promises. Through Romans 11, we can see how persistent God is in his love for his people. Over and over again in God's word, he says, the very thing that we all know we're thinking sometimes. He says, I'm never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you. God rickrolls us sometimes, right? You won't forget this, that God rickrolls us. Remember that about God. <laughs> Man, stupid. Anyway, remember, with Israel... That partial hardening is not forever. God will, in the end, be faithful to his promise for Israel and for the nations. He extends his mercy to all nations. 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God has a way of making his enemies into his beloved. That's so good. What a God of grace we have, that he looks at his enemy and says, I will make you mine. God's mercy is a beautiful example that he has always cared about the nations. It's this beautiful, intricate plan that God has orchestrated, even with the mess of people. God saved and loved Gentiles even before the hardening of Israel. The Ninevites, right? He had, he had mercy on this evil nation, and they repented and turned back to the Lord. He had uh, mercy on Rahab, a prostitute who, who helped save some spies, and uh, Ruth, who was not of the nation of Israel. Both of those women are in the uh, genealogy of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. 
That's pretty cool. God's plan is awesome. Even Jesus had interactions with the Gentiles. The lady who said, help me, and he said, I can't, I'm, am I supposed to give food to the dogs? And she says, don't the dogs get scraps off the table as well? The Lord didn't see them as dogs, but he saw that he was there for the nation of Israel. But even then, he had a plan for all the nations. So cool. He has been a God of love and mercy, wanting to bless all peoples and save people of every tribe and tongue and nation. And it's not as if he gave up on the Jews when they missed Jesus. He has been patient and will be true to his promise. Uh, Verse 32 says, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. It's been said before in season, in uh, this season, season four of Romans, and it bears repeating that the fact that God would choose to show mercy to anyone is mind boggling. If we just sit and we think about it, right? Sometimes, I, sometimes it's like after watching a uh, Christopher Nolan movie, you got to just like sit in it and like think about it. I'm like, what did I just watch? I still don't understand it, right? Do you feel that? Maybe it's just me. Okay. Guys, we're not, we're not syncing up here. That's cool. It's like, that resonates with me, but uh, it's all right. But it's mind boggling. Let me say it again. The fact that God would save anyone, any sinner, is incredible. God, every step of the way in this book, from Adam and Eve, their rebellion, to Israel's sin and idolatry, or our unbelief and rejection of him, every step of the way, God would have been perfectly just and justified to consign all the disobedience and just leave it there. To just destroy us, judge us, and be like, cool, I'm right in that. He had every right to do that as a just judge. But we see here that God did this with a plan, not just to leave us in disobedience, but that he would call a kingdom people to himself that he could have mercy on. Let that sink in. That is so good. I like this quote. George Williams said, God, having tested both the Hebrew and Gentile nations and both having broken down under the test, he shut them up in unbelief So that being manifestly without merit and having by demonstration forfeited all claims and all rights to divine favor, he might, in the unsearchable riches of his grace, have mercy upon them all. Amen. Now to end this train of thought about God's sovereign plan for salvation, Paul basically says there is nothing left to do, there's nothing left to say at this time, but to glorify God. He springs into a doxology, which just means an exaltation or a praise of God, saying, after all I've said, we just have to look to our glorious Lord. And that's our next main point, final main point. Glory belongs only to the Lord. Excuse me. Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Paul marvels at what the Lord has done and what he is going to do in the future with the nation of Israel. How gracious and merciful he has been and will be. 
I believe Paul is rejoicing in what God has done to save even him of all people and how the Lord has a good plan to save more people, including his own people of Israel, who are at that time were rejecting the Messiah and are, many now are rejecting Jesus as Messiah. All of this mystery and goodness of God leads Paul to exalt the name of the Lord, to celebrate his kindness, to bring him more glory. Paul has a similar sentiment in his first letter to, the, to his disciple Timothy. He said this, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Let me ask you, church, how often do you stop and think of God's amazing mercy shown to you? How often do you just sit in it? And then what's your reaction? How does it affect how does it bring about you giving glory to God? Does it? Verse 34 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Paul again turns to the Old Testament to make his point. In verse 34, he's quoting Isaiah 40. In verse 35, he's quoting Job 41. Really, Paul here is saying that God's glory is just beyond comprehension. The depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. Like, that's just too much for our minds, our little brains to comprehend. If we even try to take moments where we, we, where we feel that, we feel our smallness, we feel our are how finite we are. Maybe you feel this way at times when you look at creation, you look at a sunrise, or you think about the galaxy and the universe. What magnificent beauty, and then we come to realize that God holds all of that in the palm of his hand. He just spoke a word, and it came into existence. How can we not bring him glory? That's what creation does, right? Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's all from him and through him, and it's to be brought back to him. The glory back to him. The Lord is over all. He is sustainer of all. His glory is magnificent. It's life-giving. It's purpose-giving. Do you lack purpose? Do you lack passion? Are you walking in your God-given purpose of giving him glory, of living a life to give him glory in everything you do. This means we can stop looking elsewhere for answers, for clarity, for knowledge, for purpose. We can look to him. We can look to his word. We have a world, church, we have a world looking everywhere for answers in the dumbest of places. I'm sorry if this offends you. <laughs> Things like astrology and horoscopes and Enneagrams, whoops, um, personality tests and self-help gurus, all of these people trying to find the answer to the mystery that is life. And Romans 1.25 said that they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood by worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator. We need to look to Jesus. Find your answers in him. Find your purpose in him. Find the solution in him. Find out who he says you are, where your future is, what your purpose is, your calling, your mission, 
People are looking to the universe for a sign. Look to the king of the universe for your direction. Do we worship him for his astounding glory? Do we show the world that they can find what they are looking for in his glory, in bringing him glory, in worshiping him, and walking that out? The truth is, nothing and no one can detract from his glory. Once again, we see that it is all from God. It is all through God. It is all to God. There is nothing that we can do to take away from his glory. We haven't earned right standing with him. He is not in debt to us. We are in debt to him, right? We have not been a counselor to him. We have not given him something that he needs to repay us. His ways are mysterious and magnificent, and they are marvelous. D.A. Carson said this about giving God glory. Worship is the proper response of all moral, sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. I can remember a few years ago, it was probably over 10 years ago now, we did a little... I don't know what you'd call it, campaign in a way. I think we, um, if you'd call it that, we, I believe we called it Experience the Worship Project. And that time was really impactful in our church, I believe, for our, our corporate worship, for our individual worship, for our coming together and singing. You guys are killing it here. I'm so encouraged. But I just want to maybe encourage you as your brother, as your pastor, as one of your worship leaders to, to not stop giving God glory when we come together, to be reminded that when we come together, that is our opportunity to sit in it, to sit in God's glory, to bask in it, to look at it and say, man, I will praise you because you're worthy of it. It awakened in me, that project, it awakened in me that very idea. Worship is the proper response. It's the right response. I must give it to God. And it meant for me that I, I can't just do that without passion. I can't do that with my arms crossed and a frown on my face. Sometimes we got to work ourselves up to it. We got to direct our hearts. We got to direct our spirit to think about what is right and to say, Jesus, you are worthy of my praise and my passion and my singing loudly. You deserve that. I, I understand I probably sing louder than most, so I'm not saying you got, I, I, my wife knows I'm pretty loud and obnoxious many of the times, uh, and my kids are slowly learning that from me. So, uh, But if I may encourage you, take advantage of the times that we have here together to fully praise the Lord. Not to be fake before him, but to allow his spirit to shepherd us into our God-given role of bringing him more glory. So to end, I would like us to stand together and invite the band back up. I'd like us to stand. And I'm going to read this doxology again. And I would like us to read the final verse together when we get to that. That'll be on the screen. And then we'll sing to Jesus. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Let's read this last verse together. For from him and through him and to him are all things. 
To him be glory forever. Amen. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your sovereign mercy and your goodness and your being faithful to your promises, Jesus. We thank you for that. Lord, would you help us to be reminded that all things come from you and are through you and to, are to you, Lord, our lives and every aspect of our lives, that we would trust you, that we would lean on you in the mystery, in the unknowns, in the things that we don't fully grasp, that we would trust you, we would believe you, we would look to you for answers, Jesus. Would you help us to walk in that? Would you help us now, Lord, to sing out to you, to praise you, to cry out to you. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.